here so I don't get too far off track. Sorry, just one moment. Fantastic. Well, this morning I, I really am so glad to be in church. Just as we're in the prayer meeting before church and just, you know, I, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. And I, I, some of you, maybe I've never, is there someone I haven't met here before? Um, like, I just think it's so cool we get to hang out every Sunday. I, I love church. I love coming together as His people. It's such a privilege. It's such a, an honor that we can be part of a community, that we're brought together simply because we believe and know that God loves us and that we're called to love one another. I mean, how cool is that? And uh, there's nothing that will ever separate us from one another because we are united in Christ. We are made one in Him. And I just think that's so cool. Uh, so... Great to see you this morning. Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to those who were able to come to our prayer, prayer time in the last 24 hours. Well, it finished four hours ago. Um, uh, just say thank you on behalf of all of those uh, part of the body here, that uh, those of you who were able to come, maybe some of you were at home praying as well, and just myself just enjoying that time of, of putting aside time just to stop and pray. I, I was here last night, and to be honest, when you, when you actually stop and you make that time... Um, you accidentally go home way too late. So I'm going to pray that God gives me words to speak and makes it coherent to you this morning. Um, but uh, one other thing I wanted to say before we started too, if we've got that slide, we've got a, 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 a celebration to this morning that we should acknowledge as well. Uh, the arrival of Aurora, Grace, Isabel, Ashley, Coop. Uh, that's worth celebrating. <laughs> so uh, born on uh, the 13th, which was... Wednesday, thank you, I heard that it was a day. I'm like, oh, what is that, Wednesday or Thursday? <laughs> All going well, praise God. Uh, very exciting. Great to have Joe's mum here too, and uh, all's going well. Praise God. Every life is precious. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to continue on in our, our series looking at the book of Exodus. And if you haven't been here over the last five weeks, um, I just want to say that the book of Exodus really is a little bit like... Uh, to understand, I think you if, you, if you know Star Wars, it's a little bit like Star Wars. Um, you know how at the beginning of every Star Wars movie, you have those, they're not credits, they're the story so far, that's a good way to describe it. The words sort of float up the screen and tell you what's been going on. Give me a wave if you know what I'm talking about. Yep, fantastic. It's kind of like, as when we read the book of Exodus, we need to understand that it's not just a story in itself. It's a part of a bigger story. And the book of Exodus is the second chapter, if you, well, it's the second book of, of God's Word, the Bible, but it's, it's kind of episode two, and there's, there's more to the story that we know has already happened, and it's kind of like watching, I don't know if you've seen Star Wars on Tally lately, it's like you, you're watching episode three, and you're like, hang on, what's happened at the start of this one? And you need to understand the context of things for things to make sense. So this morning, if you're new here this morning, I thought we'd just play a quick little intro video that... Uh, it's actually slightly different to the one we've seen already, but uh, just to remind us of the context of where we're at in the scheme of, of humanity, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they've been, and, and Joseph, and, and, and Israel. Um, let's play the video, and you can see where we're up to today. Thanks, guys. From darkness to light, this is the story we all share as the people of God. He draws us out to draw us in. From the birth of Israel to the church today, God delivers and dwells with his people. This story began several thousand years ago, and it began. 
began with a promise from God to Abraham that he would make his offspring more numerous than the stars in the sky, a great nation who would one day dwell in the promised land. More than 400 years passed, and Abraham's descendants had not seen this promise fulfilled. Instead, the Israelites lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. Fearing that the Hebrews would grow into a mighty nation and overtake them, the Pharaoh of Egypt forced them to work as slaves. But Israel continued to grow. In response, the Egyptians increased their oppression of God's people, and Pharaoh gave a terrible decree. Every son born to the Hebrews would be thrown into the river. But a Levite couple defied this order, trusting God's will for their son's life. And God did have a plan for this child. Pharaoh's daughter found the baby and took pity on him. She named him Moses because he was drawn out of the water. As Moses grew older and saw the suffering of his people, anger burned within him. When he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, Moses killed the man and fled Egypt to hide in the desert. Years passed and Moses made a new life for himself in Midian. Then one day the voice of the Lord called out to him from a burning bush. God told Moses that he saw the persecution of his people in Egypt and he heard their cries. He promised to deliver the Israelites from slavery and he commanded Moses to go before Pharaoh on their behalf. Moses was terrified. So God sent Moses' brother Aaron to go with him. The brothers went before Pharaoh, performing signs and wonders, but Pharaoh would not listen. So God brought down plagues upon Egypt, yet Pharaoh's heart remained hard as stone. To prepare for the tenth and final plague, the Hebrews marked their doors with the blood of spotless lambs. That night, the angel of death passed through the kingdom, killing the firstborn child of every Egyptian household that did not bear the mark, including Pharaoh's. Heartbroken, Pharaoh told the Israelites to go. They were finally set free, and the Spirit of God led the people out and toward the promised land. But Pharaoh's grief soon turned to rage. He changed his mind and then commanded the Egyptian army to pursue them. When the Israelites came to the Red Sea, Moses lifted his staff to the sky and the waters parted. The Hebrews passed through the towering waves and the Egyptians were swallowed by the sea. God had indeed drawn his people out of bondage, out of darkness and into the light of his presence. The story of Israel is the story of us today. We are God's people. He draws us out of our sin, our Egypt, and draws us into his presence, into relationship with him. There we go. So. Hopefully that gives you a bit of a context of what God is doing in the book of Exodus, but also it points to an example of, of for us that God wants to draw us out of our sin and darkness and into His presence, into relationship with Him as His people. And just a reminder that up on the back table there, there's some, uh, some study guides. Whoop, there they are. 
They look like that up on the back table. If you want to really dig into the book of Exodus more and, and understand more about the book of Exodus, grab a copy up the, copy up the back there. Charlie's waving one around there. There's, um, just really encourage you to, to dig into it more. We don't have time to look at every verse and every, every aspect of the book of Exodus, but I really encourage you to read through it and have your journal open and, and be reading and, and meditating upon what God's saying, what God's doing and what He reveals to you as you read through it, as you study that book. You know, the Bible is not just a book, it's like a, a, a novel that you just read it and go, cool, finished, done. It's, a, it's really a book to study and, and understand the truth of what God is doing. This morning, uh, the title of my message is God's Righteous Judgment. And I want to start off by actually apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give an explanation of why God's judgment is always righteous in every way. I'm not going to spend a heap of time looking at, at that, but I want to say that God's judgment is always righteous, that He is the righteous judge. He is the almighty, all-powerful God, and He knows so much more than we do. And I think if we, if we struggle sometimes with the, the judgment of God, the, the way God moves, the way God allows things, and I've got to admit we've probably all been in that place, we need to humble ourselves and realize it is so proud of us to think that we should understand every working of God. For us to think that God should always act in a way that we understand is to try and think of ourselves as God. If we think we should understand everything about Him, then we, we're making ourselves think we're our, our own God. And sometimes we don't understand His ways, but He is a righteous judge. Sometimes we don't understand the things He allows and He does, but His ways are higher than our ways. His love is greater, His plans are greater, His, His knowledge of all things is greater than our knowledge. So with that in mind, let's uh, open up God's Word to Exodus chapter 7 this morning. And just before we read from Exodus 7, I just want to remind you that last time in Exodus chapter 6, we are looking at Moses and how Moses has obeyed God, he's gone to Egypt, he's gone to Pharaoh, he's declared what God has told him to declare, and Pharaoh's kind of like, no deal! You ain't going anywhere, Moses. You're not taking your, my slaves away. No deal. And uh, uh, Moses is a little bit discouraged. He, he tells the people of Israel, and at first they're kind of like, yeah, cool, we're going to be free. But then when Pharaoh doubles their work, he, the people of Israel begin to really cry out and say, Moses, what have you done to us? How dare you? God judge you for what you've done to us. And we see Moses almost going to a state of depression, I would say, of saying, God, why have you made this happen? Why have you made me do this? Why are you doing this? I don't understand, God. I don't want to do this anymore. And we see Moses really in a, a, a downward spiral at that point in chapter 6. If we come to chapter 7 and let's read from verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh. It's like, wow, that sounds better. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell everything, tell Aaron everything I commanded you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn, so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Hear that? So I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I'll bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I'll rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. We don't tend to associate acts of judgment with greatness, do we? But God says great acts of judgment. 
verse 5. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I just want to pause for a moment and say, we might look at the book of Exodus and read about the things that happen, and it is, we can really see there is a, there is a, a, a tragic element to the book of Exodus. There is, a, there is a, a, a sadness, I think we should see as we read through the book of Exodus, that people harden their heart, that people are, uh, there is death that comes upon so many as we read through the book of Exodus. But God says, when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. It's not just for His people, but it's for the people of Egypt as well and for all nations that they might know and understand who God is, that they too may worship Him. Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. You know, I think if I was Aaron, I'd be kind of like, yes, I get to do the cool bit this time. It's like, they refer, uh, Moses' staff is referred to as the staff of God in the, some of the following chapters. But this time it's Aaron who gets to throw down his staff and it's like, wow, cool, God's going to use my staff this time. Anyway, that's just what I would have thought if I was Aaron. Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers. These, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. You know, as we read through the book of Exodus, sometimes we, we need to stop and remind ourselves of, of what God is actually doing, that God is, what He's, what he's doing, what's happening, and, and realize the significance of the things that He's saying. God says to Moses, God chose Moses to seem like God to Pharaoh. Now, if I was Moses and, and I was in that place, I w- I've been so discouraged thinking, God, what's the point? They're not listening. And God comes to me and says, Andrew, I'm going to make you seem like God to the king of this nation. I'm going to kind of be like, woohoo! <laughs> Finally, the moment's here. They're going to listen. Thank you, God. Is this my reward at last for all that I've given up? Because remember, Moses' journey has not been easy. He's, as a young baby, been been floated down the river by his family, sort of saying, God, just save this baby. And Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. He's raised, uh, knowing he's not really an Egyptian, but he's not uh, with the people of Israel. Then he kills an Egyptian slave driver out of, out of frustration and, and anger. And he flees to a foreign land in Midian. And, and, and we see that Moses' life has not been easy. And then he, in obedience, he leaves Midian, where he's got a, a wife and family, and goes into Egypt, it has not been an easy journey. But God says, I'm going to make you seem like God to Pharaoh. I think Moses might have been kind of like, let the, let the plagues begin. Bring it on, Lord. This sounds good. And Moses and Aaron, they're obeying. They go to Pharaoh. Aaron throws down his staff. It becomes a serpent. And then it says Pharaoh calls in his magicians, and they do the exact same thing. I just want to pause for a moment and say, you know, Satan is the imitator. 
He is the deceiver. And just as God does amazing things in our lives and does amazing miracles and things in our lives, we need to be, care- be aware and careful that the Satan is also the deceiver. He is the imitator and he will do things. He will, he will do powerful things in people's lives to try, try and distract and distort the message of the gospel. And uh, I think that really became clear to me when I went to Papua New Guinea and I saw the, the work of sorcery and, and people's lives that had been destroyed by, by satanic magic and things in, in that nation and, and they'd had such an awareness of those things. And we need to be aware that there are spiritual powers at war in this world. We don't fight against people, we fight against principalities and powers. And we need to be discerning, we need to be alert and awake and ready to, to, to discern those things that Satan would try and twist and distort and, and deceive us with. But then it says, Aaron's snake kind of slithers along the ground, I'm just imagining what it would have looked like, and his snake kind of takes a gulp. Okay, if you've seen David Attenborough, the, the snake goes, oh, and he's, oh, oh, and he's chewing up the snake. We don't know how big it was or anything, but the the snake's kind of getting swallowed whole and it's gone. And then Aaron's snake kind of goes, hmm, still hungry, crawls over to the next snake. Slithers don't crawl, do they? They haven't got legs. Um, And swallows up the next snake. And I just imagine being one of the people in the room watching this all happen. Like, you're just standing there going, hmm, that's fascinating. And then the snake swallows up the third of the magician's staffs. And you're kind of like, that's weird. That's fascinating wonder what that means. <laughs> and if I was Aaron and Moses, I'd be kind of going, hmm, Pharaoh, are you getting the message? Because greater is the God of Israel. The creator God is more, power than, more powerful than any other power. But still, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And we see in that moment, after Pharaoh hardens his heart and says, no deal, Moses, you're not going anywhere, We see something different this time to the previous times when Pharaoh says no to Moses. And in the following times when when the plagues begin and the plagues happen and and Moses comes before Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh says, no deal Moses, you're not going anywhere. We see something has shifted, something changes as we read through the book of Exodus from this point. It doesn't say Moses kind of cries out to God and says, God, why did you let this happen? God, what's going on? Well, there's no point, God, I don't understand. From this point, we see Moses has a new confidence. Moses has a boldness that even when, Mo- when, when Pharaoh says to Moses, actually, Moses, you can, you can let all the men go and worship you in the wilderness. Um, Moses says to Pharaoh, no deal. We ain't going without our wives and kids. It's like, no deal, Pharaoh. And then when, when Pharaoh, through another one of the plagues, kind of says, Moses, get out of here, go and worship your God, but you're not taking any animals with you. What does Moses say? No deal. We ain't going. You're going to give us the animals. And then Pharaoh gets really mad, and he says, like, well, no deal. You ain't going. And Moses has a new boldness. He has a courage and a confidence from this point on in the story of Exodus. And I believe it's as God has empowered him, as he's, as he's said that God, Moses will seem like God to Pharaoh, even in the, in the continued oppression of his people, Moses begins to seem like God to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Even in the no's, even in the not being let go, Moses has a confidence that begins to speak to the people around him. I just want to point out and say that even in your struggle, in the challenges you face, 
God can give you a confidence, God can give you a boldness, that even though you may still be in a place of suffering or, or hardship, God can use you to let the love of God, the, the power of God be seen in your life, even as you go through the challenges. It's not always just as you leave Egypt that God's glory is displayed. God's power in you, even through what you go through, is powerful to those around you. Trust God, worship God, praise God that He might choose to work even through your suffering and my suffering. And point number one this morning, even though God chose Moses to seem like Pharaoh, with every calling comes a weight. And sometimes that weight is a, is a waiting, but there is a weight, there is, a, there is a, a burden to the calling that God has for us. And I'm not saying that's a burden like, oh, woe is me, I've got to do this thing for God. That's, that's not the kind of weight... I mean, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a good and right burden. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an anointing that we carry to carry out the calling that God has for us. And I think for Moses, there was, a, there was a challenge, there was a weight, there was a heaviness that he endured, even in being that representative before Pharaoh, that he had to endure. And with every calling comes a weight. I want to ask you this morning, what's your calling? Or maybe I should ask you the other different phrase it differently. Where has God called you to? And we could ask that by simply saying, "Where are you right now?" Because wherever you are, God has called you to to be for His glory. Maybe you're a farmer. Maybe you're a dentist. Maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you're a mum. You're a, you're a grandparent. Where are you right now? Because that is where God has called you to be for His glory. And with every calling, there is a weight. There is, you know, sometimes there's a um, try and keep this really vague and, and not uh, suggesting of anybody, but let's say you work with people and you love working with people most of the time. But there comes those days when you, you work with people, you, you love people, but you're doing these things with people, but then you decide that actually people drive you crazy and you just want to go and do a job where you just don't see anyone. You just want to work on a computer and see no one all day, every day. None of us have ever in that place, are we? No, because we all love each other so much. <laughs> but with every calling, there is a weight. Because let's, let's flip that for a moment and say, you're the person working on the computer every day, or maybe you're out in the farm working by yourself every day, and you're going, oh, I love working by myself. But then there's a day where you feel like, I never see a single soul day by day when I do my work. God, why have you called me to this? Why can't I hang around with people? Why can't I do that? Their life seems so much better. God, why couldn't you call me to that life? But it's not where God has placed you. God has not positioned you in that place. And there is a weight to every one of our callings. No matter what your role, your calling, the part of the body of Christ God has made you, there are times when the enemy wants to try and twist it and make us want to be someone else. And I'm pretty sure we can all say amen to that. Sadly, we struggle with that. <laughs> But there is a weight to every one of our callings. Let's embrace the place that God has positioned us and be for the glory of God. Maybe you've been positioned in a family that doesn't know Christ. Maybe you're living in a, a world where those around you just challenge you day by day. They don't understand your faith. They criticize you. They challenge you. And there is a weight to your calling. But there is a great privilege you have that you can be used to be a light and a witness to those who don't know Christ. I'm just so aware of some, even within our fellowship, that so struggle and are, and are, 
we, we should pray for one another. That those who have non-Christian families or husbands or wives, we need to uphold each other in prayer. We need to pray for one another. We need to stand with one another because the calling is sometimes heavy. With every calling comes a weight. You know what? I think God actually may have been waiting for Moses. It says Moses was 80 years old and maybe Moses had been crying out saying, God, please move and he'd been waiting for God. But I think sometimes God is waiting for us. And point number two this morning is that with every calling, there is a time of preparation. With our calling, whatever God has for you in your life, there are times of preparation for the things that God wants to do in your life and through your life. For the challenge, but also for the successes that you will face through God. Uh, there's a saying that you've probably heard, uh, that the best, the best, best test, the greatest test of a person's character is not failure, but success. You know, failure can be really hard, challenges can be really hard, but sometimes the greatest test of our character is when life is going well. Life is going well and we just enjoy life and kind of think we've made it ourselves and we don't give God the glory and the praise. I mean, how many people have become an instant overnight celebrity and their world just spirals out of control because their character is not ready to handle the, the, the responsibility, the, the, the power that they're given? Success in our lives can be almost more dangerous than, than failures and challenges sometimes. And I want to ask this morning, are we ready for God to move in our life? Is our heart ready for God to use us? Are we prepared? Are we, are we ready for God to really move in a powerful way in our life? You know, the Bible says, do not make a new Christian a leader in his, among his people because they'll become proud and it will cause their destruction. You know, are we ready? Have we come to maturity? Are we aware that it's not by my power, but it's the Spirit of God working through the me that I can do anything for His glory? God, help us come to that place of maturity that we can be used by God for His glory and continue to give Him glory and praise through His power moving in us. Are we ready for God to move? You know, God is not in a hurry. Sometimes I wish He was. God is not in a hurry. He is patiently waiting for people to respond to His love. He's patiently waiting. He's not feeling under pressure. And He waits for us to, to submit to Him. He waits for us to humble ourselves. He's not in a hurry. But are we preparing ourselves? Are we making ourselves ready for Him to move in and through our lives? And so we see over chapter 7 through to chapter 12, God begins to do what He says. He, he says about the plagues that He's going to bring and He brings them to pass. God's, God does what He says. God always does what He says. And it says the people of, of Egypt begin to cry out, this is the hand of God. We see in uh, chapter 8, verse 19, it says, The magicians come to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. Be careful what you do. It's like, this is God. We can't do these things that this God is doing. You've got to understand, Pharaoh, this is God. And it says in chapter, chapter 10, verse 7, in the, after the eighth plague, Pharaoh's officials come to him and say, Pharaoh, our land 
lies in ruins because you are standing against the God of Israel. We cannot stand against this. You've got to let these people go. They cry out and say, Pharaoh, let them go. And for a moment he says, okay, they can go. Then he changes his mind again. But through what God does, God does what he says, and it says that the nations around begin to hear of the power of God. The news of his power spreads around the whole of the earth. We read through the book of the, the rest of the Old Testament, and as the people of Israel leave Egypt and they go out and into other lands, it says that nations are afraid, they are trembling with fear because they have heard about the power of the God of Israel. God does what he says, he moves and he kind of uses the people of Israel as a signpost to his power and his glory. You know, God wants to use us as his church, as his people, as signposts to his power and his glory and his love. We had a word spoken over us as a church four or five years ago that God would raise us up as, as signposts to him. That people would see his love through us and that God would raise up more and more people in our community, both within the church and those around the church, saying, what is going on with those people at the Christian Family Church? It's like they just love each other and that God would raise up more and more people that we would point to him in a more powerful and visible way that the world could not deny. And I say, Lord, bring it to pass. Let that come to pass more and more and more within our community in Colac and the region and wherever God would give us opportunity. Praise be to God. God has called us to be signposts for His glory. But sadly, as we read on through the book of, uh, through the Old Testament, we see that Israel, even though God has used them mightily, God does these amazing things in their lives. It says they go out and they go into new places and they're kind of like, yeah, God, God did these things for us in the past, He'll do it again. And they begin to act in presumption to what God is calling them to do. They kind of, God says, no, don't go there. And they say, no, we'll go because God, you've done it before, you'll do it again. And they fall on their faces and they're defeated because they just act in presumption. They've grown proud, they've grown arrogant and prideful. And God's righteous judgment brings correction in their lives. And I want to ask this morning, how well do we wear the forgiveness and grace of God? How well do we wear the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God? I think the people of Israel at times gave great praise and glory to God. But sadly, many times they, they, they began to get prideful and arrogant about what God had done in them and through them. God, stop us from ever becoming prideful or arrogant in our relationship with God. We are simply sinners saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We are no better than any other person who walks the streets. We simply have an understanding of His great love for every single one of us. Let us never be so proud or so rude as to think that God loves us more. God is calling all people to Himself. God moved in Egypt so that all the world would know His, His power and that they would know Him and worship Him as God. The promise to Abraham in the beginning was that all nations on earth would be blessed through him. And we are called to be a people who just simply point to the loving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us upon a cross, that we can have relationship and know him. God, help us to wear the grace of God well. 
when we have joy and challenge, when we have peace and struggle, and people say, oh, wow, you're amazing. Let's give the glory to God. Let's not claim it for ourselves. Let's not try and make out we're any better than anyone else, but simply that we know a God who loves us, who cares for us, who through all things we face, He is with us and He is for us and He is not against us. And you know what? He's for you too. That we can share the love of God with those around us. I wish we had time to look through all of the, 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 the plagues and read through them, but I, I just want to point out, without a doubt, the greatest sign of God's power and His plan was through the Passover. We, we read about the plagues of blood and frogs and flies and, and gnats and livestock and boils and hail and locusts and darkness, and then finally the plague of death. And it was through the Passover that I believe God's power and His plan was demonstrated greater than any of the other plagues and those other things that occurred. And just briefly, I want to have a look at a couple of the things that through Passover, God was declaring to His people and making an illustration of what He was preparing to do through Jesus Christ on the cross, who is our Passover lamb. And if you want to understand more about this, I've got some printouts about some, some of the points about Passover. And maybe you want to go back and listen to, um, i trying to think of his name, Lawrence from Celebrate Messiah. Lawrence, who was here earlier this year, last year. Life is a blur sometimes, isn't it? Was that three years ago? Was it this year? I can't remember. Anyway, well, maybe we can find that podcast and put it up on Facebook or something for you to find and listen to that. But there is so much in the Passover that you can learn and see that just points to Jesus Christ as the Messiah that so many Jews have not yet seen. And, and I know the, the Messianic Jews are trying to help them see that, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the, 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 the Passover, that He is the Passover Lamb. But just really briefly, the blood of the Lamb was to be painted over the home of every Israelite in Egypt. That if they painted the blood of the Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb, over their, their door, they would be set free that they would be delivered from death and they would leave that captivity and walk into freedom and the relationship with Him in, their, in that new promised land. And the same is true for us. If we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, not we don't have to paint it over our homes or anything, but if we understand and accept and acknowledge that Jesus' sacrifice for us is what sets us free, we are made free in Him. We have the victory through Him and through His blood alone. It's not by what we do, it's through Him. Secondly, it says that the bones of the lamb must not be broken. And we know the bones of Jesus Christ's body were not broken. Even though so many who were crucified on the cross, their bones, their legs would be broken to make sure that they were well and truly dead. But they, the soldiers came to Jesus and said, this man is already dead. And kind of just for good measure, they pierce him with a spear. And it says blood and water flowed out. And we know scientifically now that that is a sign that he had died of asphyxiation. I got that word out. His bones were not broken, just as the Passover lamb's bones would not be broken. Now, I meant to look up to see how to say that word. And all you people who study Jewish things, let's say that word, matzah. Matzah, that's the one. <laughs> the matzah, the unleavened bread. The people of Israel were told to, to bake unleavened bread. And the bread was broken in three, which they kind of don't really understand the significance of, but it's, uh, we, we, we know that the, it's representative of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that third piece, oh, sorry, the second piece, which was broken in two, one piece would be wrapped in linen, just as Jesus Christ's body was lapped in, wrapped in linen after His body was broken. 
There are so many things as you look through the Passover that simply point and are symbols of what Jesus fulfilled through the cross. The, the, the symbolism, the, the, the closeness of those two things is, is amazing. If you have time to sit and study it, I encourage you, make time. One other thing I just want to point out, it talks about in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verse uh, 6, I think it is, sorry, I didn't write it down. It says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And we see this phrase repeated through the book of Exodus and uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 7, 9, 26, 2 Kings 17, Psalms, Jeremiah. It's repeated right through the Old Testament that God is going to redeem them with His outstretched arms. And this imagery that He paints and it repeats over and over again that God is going to redeem them with His outstretched arms. What a picture of the cross. That He would redeem them with His outstretched arms nailed to a cross. He would redeem the world he would save us from our sin through that great act of judgment. You know, the greatest act of judgment the world has ever seen is not the exodus of Israel from Egypt. It is Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. That He rose again victorious, that we can be free, that we can be made whole, that we can be restored to relationship with Jesus Christ. That we can have eternity with Him in heaven. He is our Passover lamb. He is the one who makes a way for us. I just want to finish by, by reading a, a verse from Second Chronicles. Ask if the band would just come up now. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. I, I heard this verse probably 10 years ago, and I was so, so encouraged. And I, I pray that as I read this verse to you, that you too will be encouraged. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen. He's not searching the whole earth in order to, to, to discipline, in order to, to, to command, in order to, to strengthen, that you might be built up, that you might be encouraged, that you might become all that He created you to be. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Now, whatever you're calling, maybe you feel like Moses and you're weeping and saying, God, why me? Why have you called me to this? Whatever you're calling, God is searching, saying, will you surrender? Will you commit your heart to me? Because the reality is that He wants to help us, but first we've got to surrender. We cannot know the, the, the love and the mercy, the grace of God until we surrender and say, God, here am I, use me, send me, do whatever you want with me, I'm yours. And sometimes the kids come to you and they say, Dad, can you help me with this? And you go, sure, I'll help you. And you're like, you try and take whatever it is from them to help them. And they're like, no, I'm doing it. It's like, you wanted me to help, what are you talking about? Has anyone ever had this wrestle? And, and, and they come and say, no, you, can you help me with this? And you try and sort of t have a look over their shoulder to see, and they're like, no, I'm doing it. And you're like, well, I want to help you. And I believe God, our Heavenly Father, is, is, is coming to us saying, I want to help you. But first, you've got to hand it over to me. You can't hold on to it and say, no, I'm going to do it in my own strength. 
and let Him do it as well. We've got to surrender. Say, Lord, less of me, more of you. Have your way in me. Have your way through me. And I want to finish with this thought. God, use me. God is the righteous judge, and we may not understand everything He does, but let's surrender and just say, God, use me. So often we say, God, bless me. God, do this for me. But I want to encourage you this morning, not to say, God, bless me. God, do this for me. But just say, God, use me. Use me as a signpost for your glory. Use me, God. I surrender. And even as you surrender, I believe a peace will come upon you that you maybe have never known. I just want to pray right now. We're going to finish with a song. Well, God, I just thank you for your great, 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 great love for us. God, we don't always understand your ways. God, we we struggle with different things that happen in our lives and the pressures of life. God, with the, the, the weight of the calling that you have for us, God, at times it feels like we are just totally enable God to continue but God I just pray that as Moses was as you spoke to him and you said I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh God I just thank you for the boldness and the courage that he had from that point and God I just pray that you would speak to your people this morning that you would help us to know that you have called us to be your ambassadors God that we have been called to be ambassadors of Christ that we've been called to be like Christ to those around us that, Lord, we would rise up with a new confidence, with a new boldness, with a courage, God, to go out from this place into whatever the calling is you have for us, Lord, that we would stand for your glory, God, that we would surrender and say, God, use me. God, have your way in me because we are so aware of your amazing love and grace and mercy for us. We surrender and we hand it over to you, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Can we stand this morning? I encourage you to, maybe you want to lift your hands in, in symbolic surrender to God this morning as we sing this song. As we sing, Lord, less of me, more of you. Have your way. Make me more like Christ. Have your way in my life, Lord, in Jesus' name.